tentpole edition of Exhibit A Attorneys. We're going to view lawyers and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. As you all know, last month we had Chelsea Williams for the first one. This month I've got Stephanie Everett from Lawyerist here. So we're talking about our top 10 tips for law firm owners, according to Stephanie and Lawyerist and all the wonderful expertise there. Um, then you'll see Stephanie over the next 10 weeks in our Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers group going a little bit deeper on all these tips, culminating in an end of April live session. So you can ask your questions, we can go deeper um, on these topics, different stuff, etc. Stephanie is always a great chat. Lawyerist um, was one of the first things that I came across when I went from an idiot to hopefully knowing something about running a law firm. So Stephanie, thanks for being with us. Hey, I'm at super excited to be here so for anybody that doesn't know you can you give us a little bit of the backstory of who is stephanie everett oh yes um starting at birth just kidding uh so i'm a lawyer i practiced law i started at a big law firm i thought i would retire there because honestly that was very naive coming out of law school never thought i'd be doing this but i did get an opportunity to go with a partner and start my own firm in um gosh like 2007 so we started that firm. I was the managing partner. I was doing all the business stuff. And my dad was a business owner. So I think I just naturally gravitated and loved it and sort of just like was like, yes, let me figure out this thing. What does it mean to run a business? We grew very fast. So um, we had we grew from the two of us and an assistant to a team of 20 in well under seven years. So we really had to reinvent our business several times as, as that growth was happening. So I learned a lot in that process. And then in 2015 was like, I love this. I'm going to sell my interest in the firm and really just help lawyers learn how to build better businesses. And I've had quite the path to do that because that's a little bit of a transition too, right? Just to take your law degree and now apply it differently and have people think of me not as a lawyer, but as this coach and consultant and join the lawyers team eventually. Um, I've been here now just over five years. So I love it. I say, I tell everyone, I hit the professional lottery because I get to help lawyers every day build healthier businesses. I love it. And I know you guys just announced a uh, merger. Yeah. So we're in a way practicing what we are teaching. And so we just joined with Affinity Consulting Group. So our team went from 10 to 100 overnight, which is pretty exciting. Uh, lawyers isn't going away. You can still go to lawyers.com. You can still get all the resources that you normally are used to getting at Lawyerist. It's just that now we have a lot more expertise behind us and a lot more help, which is really fun and exciting. So we have some big things that we want to do and how we can help the industry. This is going to help us do it faster. So stay tuned. There'll be more. Nothing dr drastic changed as a, you know immediately, but we have a lot of things on the drawing board and it's just, it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's, it's been a learning experience to go through that type of exit, you know, and transition into another company. And I know that's what, one of the tips we're going to be talking about, but that's something that lawyers are going to need to know and understand as, as they have those opportunities come up. So I think even living through it, I'm even now more well-versed in how to help somebody, even if you're just adding an associate and a partner from another group, right? Anytime you're bringing firms like that together, it's actually a bigger ordeal than it seems. There's culture fit and then there's technology fit and our data and our systems, like which system are we going to use? So 
there's a whole host of issues that you got to figure out, but it's been fun. I love it. And if that's not enough, there's also the new edition of the book coming out in just under a month. Yeah. I mean, as people are hearing this, um, pre-sales are on now. So you can go to lawyers.com slash book and you'll, we'll have the first chapter up so you can read it, which will really give you a sense of what this new edition about. This is one of those where we didn't just change a few things and call it another edition. It's a, it's a big rewrite. Like there's similar things. The themes don't change a ton, but we go, we go in new places we explore and that's going to come out in my top 10 tips. So you're going to hear some of that um, today, but it, it really is the next, I think, iteration of, of where we think lawyers should be in this process of building healthier businesses. And that's going to be for small firm roadmap, right? Yeah. So it's called the small firm roadmap revisited and it'll be available. It's for pre-sale now and it will launch on February 20th. See, if I was on the naming team, I would have done rewalk, you know, like oh. you're rewalking the roadmap, but fair, fair. We didn't put a lot of thought into it. Now that I say that somebody said that name and it's stuck. It's stuck. It's better than 2.0. Yeah. Or again, or, <laughs> you know, all right. So um, we've got Stephanie here. Wealth of knowledge. Awesome group. Wonderful team. Always a great chat. Let's dive in to our top 10 tips. So what is uh, number one? Yeah. Tip one, number one, maybe a little controversial, but here it goes. Um, be owners, not partners. So this is a new concept in the in the new book where we're ready to kill the word partners. So stay with me here. But yeah. we think that, that a lot of times, historically, law firms, especially, we have thought about partnership and the idea of making partner as a job promotion. And guess what? Making partner is not a job promotion. It's a business transaction. When you become an equity owner of your business, you are buying into that business, your role should change. How you think about the business should change. How you get compensated potentially changes. And so we want to shift the way people are thinking about this concept and make them appreciate it for what it really is. We think that it also has implications on the back end with how you run your business. Ultimately, like I said, how you should be paying people, how you should be valuing the business. So there's a lot of changes that could potentially come from this initial change. It's, and by the way, we don't, we're not going to have a lot of heartache if people still call themselves partners, but we want them to start understanding this concept. So we intentionally in the book say, we're not going to call it partners or partnership. We're going to call it owners throughout because that is what we want is an owner's mentality. I love it. And I also think like, if you go into um, there's a study they did with people playing tug of war and like the more people you put on your team, the less everybody pulls. Um, and so I think by even just changing that name, you know, like taking that ownership, taking that mindset of it, I hopefully it helps negate some of the, I don't want to say mailing it in. That's not the right term, but like, I think it, I hope it gets people back to giving a hundred percent the whole way through. Yeah. And I think where I'd go too is it's about, understanding what role you play as an owner versus a manager. Because one of the things that we think we see happen a lot in smaller firms is everyone who has a partner title suddenly feels they're entitled to make all the big management decisions in the business. And so I have sat in a room 
with 14 partners trying to decide which health insurance to offer and which, you know, premium they should pick and based on the deductible. That is a complete waste of time for all of those people. That is not how a business works. That's how not how business decisions get made. So part of what we really go into some more detail in the book around is what decisions do owners get to own, right? And we'll talk about the next one, vision, right? You should get to decide which path you want this business to take and what you ultimately want to see it do. Um, Obviously, you should be aligned around values and, and financial strategy. But then, so think about it like a board of directors. It's probably how we'd say for a traditional business. But then you have your leaders in the firm, the CEOs and COO type roles that are executing on that vision and that plan. And so you really need to then trust your leaders to take the business where you want it to go and get out of the way and go be in your lane. And and you will talk about accountability charts. You may have different responsibilities for the business because that's where you sit on the accountability chart. But the fact that you're a partner or owner does not mean you get to or should sit in on all these decisions. And so that's because that's terrible. And you become the bottleneck for everything as the yes. fine. If you have to be the final say on everything at all, uh, the buck, the buck stops with you, but like literally it stops with you. Yes, um, we have all, all right, these. That... Oh, that's good. We'll keep going. All right. Cause let's go right into number two. Yeah. Number two is you need to have a clear vision for the future. And I know everybody talks about vision and sometimes lawyers are like, ah, will you stop throwing this vision stuff down my throat? But then I get on a coaching call with them and ask them pretty simple questions. And it's really clear that they don't know which direction they want to go. And so then all the everyday decisions become harder and unnecessarily complicated because we don't really know which path we're going on. And so, you know, I've had two firms that I worked last year, one told me in January, they wanted to double the size of their team. They expected to hire 20 more people that year. They had a very clear reason for doing so. I have another person who told me if they hired another person and felt like they had to manage someone else, they would rather shut their business down. Like they didn't want to have a big team. They wanted to grow profit, but not necessarily staff. Now, both of those are very fine strategies, but they look very different. And so I tell people that I work with, you don't have to have it all figured out, but are we looking closer to this or this, right? Like we got to have some kind of direction of where we're going. It really, it's not busy work. It's not consultant speak. It really drives everything else you do. And I know we say it a lot. And so we probably feel like we're just beating this tired drum, but yet lawyers are still kind of floundering around, not really sure what they want to do with their business. So we need to get that clarity of what we're trying to do. Yeah. I always tell people vision is like putting the GPS is like using the GPS of your car. And if you don't have that and you don't know where you're going, you have no idea if you're closer or further away or so it's uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. All right. Anything else on vision wise? Otherwise we'll go into number three, which is uh... no. All right. Let's Let's do it. it. Number three, understand profitability. Um, Seems simple, right? Seems like like a no brainer just to say it. Yeah, you need to understand your profitability. It's time for lawyers. Like we have to ban another maybe phrase that we're going to ban is this idea that we went to law school because we don't know or understand numbers. 
you're, you're a business owner. Now you want to love numbers. Like you absolutely need to know and understand your numbers. You can't be afraid of them, which I know a lot of people are because, you know, you need to ask the questions and roll up your sleeves and understand how your business works financially. It's why it exists. If you know, your business exists in part to make money. So we want it to do that. And you want it to make profit, not just revenue. So many people out there are selling you a story of larger revenue, but not necessarily profits. And so we want to not just understand our numbers, but understand what levers we need to be pulling to mean that we make more profit. Because I mean, I can, you can do a lot of things that add revenue. You know, if you're billing by the hour still, you could hire a bunch of people and then your revenue goes up. But if you're not really thinking it through and watching things, you may have done nothing to actually increase profit. In fact, sometimes people see that they have less profit at the end of the day. So it's not just about um, making more top line revenue. It's really understanding all the, all the ways your business works and what profit looks like. Um, and I would even break that down once you know that, you want to get really specific to types of cases. Which cases are making you more money? That's where you should be focused in trying to market and really grow your firm or at least be intentional about that. And that starts by understanding that some cases have more value and are making you more profit than other types. Yeah, I mean, look, the uh, I want to be a million dollar firm. I want to be a million dollar firm. I want to be a million dollar firm. I'll give you the easiest way to do that right now. Spend 1.5 to $2 million on advertising. And even if it's kind of crummy, you will bring in a million dollars. You might lose a million dollars in the process, but you know, you'll hit the revenue number. So no, I love, I love what you had there. And obviously to go, you know, to go back to your prior example, that firm that wants to not grow really needs to be on the profitability side of things. That firm that wants to double in size still needs to know how profitable each new person is going to be and how much revenue needs to come in to afford to hire the person to still have profitability. So that's a uh, that's a key one, regardless of the vision, I think. Yeah, for sure. It, I mean, you own a business now, you need to understand your numbers. And and we have, I mean, uh, when we get into on the Facebook group, I can share some podcasts that we've done with our financial coach, where she really breaks it down and helps you understand your reports. And and it's okay to not know. It's just not okay to not ask questions and fi- and find out. Like the help is out there. So don't be intimidated by it or afraid by it. Let's get you where you need to know so you can understand what's going on. And by understanding that profitability and by having that vision, I think then we get to go right into number four. Yeah. See, I love this. They all make sense, right? So number four is you need to create a business that has value and ultimately gives you a path to an exit strategy. So um, it's time to understand that our law firms, our businesses that is an asset that we hope appreciates in value. That should be the goal. So, you know, other industries, tech industries, probably the easiest example. A lot of those owners are coming in with an idea of what that they want to sell. They're building to sell from day one. I think lawyers historically think that because of our regulations and that we're not allowed to sell to someone who is not a lawyer currently in most states, prohibits us from thinking this way. And I'm one here to tell you, you guys, we've been buying and selling law firms since the day we started, because that's what we do when we, what, make partners. It's not a promotion. It's a business transaction. So when you just had someone join you as an equity partner, whether you received value from that or, you know, maybe a different story, but you just sold part of your business. 
right? So we are, even without any changes in regulations, and we can talk about that because I do think regulation changes are coming, but even if we say those aren't coming or they're not coming as fast as we think, you still have the ability to build this business up and sell it, right? Maybe right now your market is smaller, but there is a market. So you need to understand, one, that that is a fact, and then two, okay, now that you know that, what is your business worth? How do you value your business and how do you grow the value of that business? Um, it's going to give you more options and it's a smart thing to do. It's going to make you run a better business today if you're building it to have an opportunity to sell it. Um, but then it also just is going to give you a lot more options. And so starting to think about what an ag- exit strategy looks like can be a super valuable exercise, even if you're really not sure there's going to be lots of different opportunities. Um, We did an exercise with the lawyers that we coach at our conference last year where we had them practice their pitch and said, okay, pretend at some point in the future, you get to pick the day and you're sitting across a potential buyer. What are you going to say to them? Why are they going to buy your business? What's great about it? What's transferable? How, why is it worth what it's worth? And that really opened a lot of people's eyes to, okay, now I understand some things I could be doing now to build a better business so that I have those opportunities one day. And so this may be a dumb question. In terms of exit strategy, is there anything that we can be talking about exit strategy-wise that isn't eventually selling and retiring? In terms of like selling to like venture capitalists or just selling? Is Is there an opportunity that isn't selling? Is that the question? Yeah, basically. I mean, like, look, I know there, you know, you're talking about the partnership thing, so we can sell a little at a time. I know there's ways where you can sell your firm and transition out over a period of years. You can keep, you know, some interest in it, but still retire. But like, are there any other options for exit strategy? I mean, you could always close down the firm and get nothing from it, but. Yeah, I think that's the other option. Close it down, do nothing, or even worse, um, you know, die at your desk and not have any plan and leave your poor family and the state bar with trying to figure out what to do. (laughs) I mean, so there, I guess those are options is to do nothing. Um, But most people, if you think about the value that, you know, as that you have right now as an owner, obviously you're generating probably cash to yourself today through distributions. Um, But this is a newer, right. That's I said, and but this is a newer concept of, and this thing you're building can also generate and has value over time. And so one day, um, right now, I think then you start thinking about what are my options to realize that value. So how can I, like, if if somebody says this thing is worth a million dollars, that's great on paper. How do I actually turn it into a million dollars in my bank account right now? Other industries have more options available to them because of our regulation. Like, so for example, I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, an ESOP is an opportunity that would exist to most businesses, which is an employee-owned stock option plan. But that probably is an example of we could not do right now with law law firms because that would allow the non-lawyer ownership. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, totally. No, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me because it's like the alternative is you blow an entire second revenue stream 
that you should have been working on the entire time anyway, because the longer, like the more long view you take on the short day-to-day decisions, the better your firm is every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it starts impacting, like I had to call my financial planner this morning and we're talking about like part of my long-term retirement strategy is taking the equity that I own in my current business and turning it into cash. And then that will be money that we live off of for retirement. Or, you know, we've created businesses before and helped people. You could have your ownership interest be pushing out enough in profit that you decide you don't need a day-to-day job in your business anymore. And you just have passive income coming from your firm. So there are a lot of opportunities there. And I think we're just getting started on this conversation. It's just one that lawyers haven't traditionally thought about. And so I wanted to include it in my top 10 list because I want to start pushing that, that conversation. And let's be honest, progress is progress. So if we see a change to the current regulations, it's going to allow more people to buy law firms or non-lawyers to buy a part of law firms or something like that. Like it's not going to be the opposite. Right. I know everybody's worried about it and they think it's going to kill our industry. I don't have that magic ball. I don't know. But what I'm telling my folks is it's going to create opportunities, opportunities that I hope you can capitalize on. Like I want you building great businesses right now that are valuable. So when those buyers come in, you can have decisions, you can have options. Right. It's yes. Uh, it, the, the, if the change comes, you are better off being prepared for it. You know, same like the chat GPT and the AI stuff, like it's coming for us anyway, you might as well be aware of what it's going to do and how you can still set yourself apart and you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, all right. So I want to transition because now we kind of go into like ways to do this. So let's go into tip number five. Yeah. I'm sure five is one that you also preach a lot, which is like focus on a clearly defined market. And so stop trying to be all things to all people. Now, you know, you understand that you have a business, the business has value, we want to grow the value of that. And one of the easiest ways to do that now is like, let's build a successful, healthy business. And it starts with being really clear on who you're trying to serve and who you're not trying to serve. I think as lawyers, we're so afraid to say no. And I tell everyone, I'm like, you, you make more off of a no, right? For so many reasons, it's okay to say no. And so really getting clear on um, who's your ideal market? What does, what does that market look like? What do they need? It starts, it starts helping us in so many ways. Obviously, it drives our marketing strategy, which I know um, you also know that too many lawyers are doing random acts of marketing and trying to see what sticks and they call me and they'll say, should I have a podcast or should I do a Facebook group or be on whatever it is, TikTok? And the answer is always like, well, who are you trying to attract? You know, is that where your target audience is? Because if not, guess what? The answer is pretty easy. We can say no to things, but too many lawyers are just kind of scattered all over the place. And it becomes so everything. Life becomes easier when we focus. I I promise you, it's easier to build the business, the back end, the systems, all the things that we're going to do. Um, it's also what's going to help drive that profitability. Can I steal that line? A random act of marketing. I think that's so funny. You can, because I stole it from somebody else. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's, it encompasses it so well. Um, and you know, it's funny because then, like, that makes so much sense from the defined market, and then I think that also goes into tip number six very well as well. 
Yeah. So we got to start being intentionally or intentional about building our business model. So, you know, this, this comes a lot, lots of stuff comes into this one. So we'll probably take a minute to unpack this tip, but anyone who's listened to me knows that I'm a big fan of killing the billable hour. Like we've done it. The old way is broken, you guys. And it's stop, It's time to just stop doing what everyone else has done for the past hundred years by default. So what I want you to do is just pause and say, is that the best way to deliver my services to the target market I have? So when I say, when I'm thinking about your business model, I'm really thinking about what is it that you offer? So what does that package look like? What is the scope of services that you're offering? How are you offering it? And how are you pricing it? And that's all decisions that all go in together and tie into your ideal market. Who are you trying to market to? So there's a lot of decisions in that. And again, it comes back to stop trying to be all things to all people. Not everybody wants you know, the luxury soup to nuts divorce package where you decide as the lawyer what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and how much you're going to charge. You know, not everybody wants to spend 50, 60, even $20,000 on a divorce. I mean, gosh, that would, I tell my husband every day, like we get in a little fight and I'm like, better work this out because we're not going to spend $20,000 undoing this. Some people do need divorces though. And maybe what they need is special help in a piece of it, right? Or maybe they just need to understand the process. Maybe they can afford, there is is a market out there for all the things that we offer. Like no matter what kind of practice you have, where, where you sit in practice areas, there's such a broad market. People need help and we're the helpers. But it's time for us to really start thinking about, well, what kind of help do they need? What does help really look like? And what are they willing to pay for that help? And we can't just assume that they're just going to come in our office and give us a blank check and we do whatever we think is best. Because I think just the way we buy services is more sophisticated now. And whether you agree or not, market competition is out there and it's coming from lots of sources. So my husband this morning saw an ad for a wills and trust thing on TV. He was watching the morning news and he knows what I do. So he kind of called out and was like, oh, look at that. There's somebody advertising on a national scale, a scoped, you know, will package. Um, So people are out there doing this And it doesn't mean you have to do it, but you need to be intentional about what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. Well, and if you go back to the uh, the high school journalism class, right? Like who, what, when, where. So that market is the who we are helping. That business model is the how we are helping them and what we are actually doing for them. Like these things all go together so well. I think so. I think it makes sense. I just think we aren't always thinking about it. We just kind of slide into it. And then we are like, oh, this is how we do it. And what I'm saying is just stop and, and actually look at the market and think about, is there a, is that the best way for you to do it? Maybe there's a market opportunity no one's even thinking about, and you could create a product or services. I call it product, but you know you could create a package of services that really would address a market need that is unmet. And man, wouldn't you want to swim in that lane instead of doing what everyone else is doing? Well, the beauty of it is because we are a service, creating that product is easier. Like you don't have to get a new patent. You don't have to change an entire, <coughs> excuse me, production line. 
So it's always interesting to me, like lawyers that have these ideas on like, oh, what if I offer, you know, a will where they come in every year for us to review it and we also connect them with here and we also do this. What's stopping you? Like you're, yeah. you know, just offer it to somebody and see if somebody pays the amount of money you charge for it. You can always make those changes later, but we don't have to completely reinvent the wheel for so much of this. I love it. Yes. Just get started. Just test it. That's what I tell everyone. Create a small thing and go test it and see if the market likes it. They're going to tell you. Yeah. Well, and the beauty of it. All right. So once we have our person, once we have the, how we want to help them, how do we do this over and over again? Yeah. So that's number seven is it's time to systematize. And this comes in so many different parts of our business, right? So this could be the way we're delivering services, but it's also the way we run our business. So, um, you know, we have onboarding, for example, we just had to onboard onto a new team. Like there should be a checklist. We know how to onboard people. So we should have a process and we know exactly, hey, it's time to onboard someone. Here's what we do. It's all the steps listed out. We know who's going to do what, who's responsible. And we can repeat that every time. We're not always scrambling. The same type of concept applies when we go to write a brief. Whether you've actually thought about it or not, you have a process in your head that you like to be followed every time you write a brief or every time you create a new motion. And the question is, is that a process that lives in your head or is it somewhere where I could pick it up and read it and execute it for you? Because guess what? If it's the latter, lots of opportunities open up. Now it becomes easier to delegate. Now it becomes easier to scale and grow. And and you don't have to be the one that does all the things. You can have your team help you. And now they're going to know what help looks like, how they should approach the project, how they can get it where you need it to be. So then you're going to be happier with the work product. Um, And then we can look for those opportunities to use the tech in a smart, efficient way. I'm not saying tech, you know, robot lawyers, even though they're sending one to court, whatever, that's a long way off. Like your job is not going to get replaced. But if I can take the mundane crap that you don't like doing anyway and build a system, a tech, use a tech tool to do it, I should be doing that all day long. Like my team's having a lot of fun with chat GPT right now because why not? Like, don't be scared of it. Like find a way to even master it and use it so that you can do the high level thinking work that you all want to do anyway. I love it. Um, And look, I will admit to everybody every now and then there is truly a magical creative moment this happens more on the marketing company. You know, we've got our designers who like design something magical, but from a lawyer perspective, like you may go into court and have some magical argument or objection or whatever that you can't truly systematize each part of it, but you can systematize what information you need to be prepared for court. You can systematize what information you need to give to the client to make sure they're prepared for court. You can systematize what you need your team to be doing on the days you're in court. If there is an emergency, what needs to happen? There's ways you can go about making sure as much of this is consistent as possible for you to be able to properly deliver that, you know, magic Matlock moment. Yeah. You're not going away. We're trying to make your job easier, I think. I do not have as cool of a flow into tip number eight, although I do love it. That's okay. Um, Number eight is clearly define your accountability. So now we're sort of shifting a little bit to some of the back in operations of running your business and who's on the team and what do they do? So we're big fans of accountability charts instead of org charts. I think 
maybe it's a very subtle difference, but to us, it's not as important about who's reporting to who, although certainly you want to know that. But what I want to know is who's accountable for all the major functions of your business. And so especially when you have a small business, and by the way, even if you're the only person in your business, you should still do this exercise, which is simply to map out what needs to happen for your business to function. At a minimum, every business has three big buckets, right? If you want to think about it that way, there's a sales and marketing component. You got to bring clients in. Um, You got to deliver. In our case, our widgets are the services of law that we're offering. And then we have back-end operations. There's everything from counting the money and paying bills to IT or managing your office and managing your team with HR and benefits administration. So they can, all that stuff kind of falls in that operations bucket. So at a, at a very simple, the simplest we could have is a four person accountability chart, right? You could have the visionary CEO at the top and then your sales and marketing, your delivery, legal services and operations but you could obviously make that a lot more complicated and start drawing out lots of boxes. You could separate. So the key is what, who is, who one person is accountable at your business for each of those major functions. So at the end of the day, if the mark, if we decided we're going to start writing a blog every week, I don't know what the right cadence is these days. And then as we're as much at, as possible every hour. Yeah, there you go. February 15th comes and we haven't produced a single blog yet as a firm. Who do I go to and say, what's happening with those blogs, right? Is there a owner in charge of marketing? So it doesn't necessarily, this is where I say, like you can have different people on the team responsible for different things, but who are we holding accountable for these functions? And oftentimes, especially in small firms, um, it's just not clear. And so then people are like, well, do I have to get approval? And then they don't even know what they can and can't do. But when you create the accountability and it's like, you own this, you're re- you don't have to do all the work, but you're responsible for making sure the work happens. Now, I don't have to go get your permission to post the blog post, right? It's like, yeah, blog's ready to go. It's been written, edited, built, bum, done, right? We can move work faster because now people know what lane they're supposed to be in and how they can operate. Um, so that helps. I mean, you can see all the different benefits that come from just this simple exercise. And even if you're just by yourself doing it and seeing your name in all the boxes, one shows you that you don't have a time management problem. You're just wearing too many hats, but two, it really helps you think about future growth and where could you maybe delegate? Maybe could you get a virtual person in to take some of these roles off your plate? It will just help you sort of understand that future path for how you want to grow your your team. So let me know if you disagree, but on the accountability chart, I also like if there are things where you have consistent vendors or outsources, put them in the chart. So like if you have your specific, you know, outsource payroll person, if you have a your insurance person that sold you the policy, like putting them in there really helps you know or whomever else to know like who to go to when there's the audit information comes in, when the W2s are due or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. We do the same. We have those people on our chart. The one thing, you know, the big ones that we're using for, I guess there's really only big ones, but yeah. I mean, I guess if we'd hired someone for a one-off project, like for example, we're releasing our book. um, So we had to hire a typesetter because once you write the copy, you have to have someone like create all the pages that go inside the book. 
So that was a one-time person. They're not on our org chart, but our graphic designer is and our payroll provider in, you know, outsourced accounting company is. So yes, agree. All right. And then now that we have this accountability chart, now that we're filling in, now that we know this, what do we do with our team? Yeah. So number nine is to nurture a healthy team. Obviously we like the healthy theme around here because it fits with all the parts of your business. Um, This should be a no brainer, but it's worth saying that your team, I mean, in a weird way, that's your inventory, right? Like our team and our brain power is what we are selling. These are the people who make you look good. The reason that clients hire you, the reason that clients are happy with you. But also like, I don't know, I love the idea that my goal in life is to provide employment to a team and to be that idea of a good boss. So I think it's important for all the reasons. I mean, you just to be a good person, I think you should try to be a good leader and manager. And that's not something that we were really ever taught in law school. And a lot of times, not even at our firms, um, we sort of were told to kind of model what other people did. So some of us got really great role models and others, not so much. I mean, I still have stories of lawyers throwing staplers across the office when they get mad, right? Like it's, it's terrible. <laughs> that it happened. Like staple out or like just the whole stapler, like whole stapler just chucked across oh a gosh. New York law firm. So there you go back in, you know, crazy stories. But I think, I think, I mean, what COVID has taught everybody is life's too short. And so teams are leaving, people are leaving because they want, they want to feel personally and professionally fulfilled in their jobs. They want to know that their job matters. Luckily for most of us, that's an easy one. Like we're helping people who genuinely have problems. So that should be an easier story for you to tell. Um, But you need to connect the work that you do with your firm to the work that everybody does. The person who answers your phone needs to understand how they're helping making a difference in somebody's lives and in your community's lives. And we want to create workplaces where people love to show up and they thrive and they feel supported and they feel heard. They feel like there's a relationship there, like that people are interested in them. And then ultimately they want to know that that they have a place to grow. I mean, there's a ton of research out there about what it takes to have engaged team members. And it's not very hard. It's not like we, you don't necessarily need to go buy ping pong tables and, you know, give everybody a guitar or something, just have a sing-along. Like, you know, this idea, I think Amazon and Google came along and kind of told us that we had to be really wackadoo in our workplace to create a good culture it's not like it's, it can be really simple things, but important things that your team knows that you care about them and you're listening to them and you want to help them do better and make their work easier. I love it. All right. So when we, uh, when we share tip number nine, we should definitely crowdsource some cool, easy, cheap ideas that people have had to help build this team because you're like, yes, it's the right thing to do for everybody and also for you because then you have less turnover because then your clients are treated better because then you know people enjoy coming to work and they're and they're sick less and they're more engaged and they're there for each other and like it's just this uh snowball but in a good way dovetail i don't know whatever it is yeah like flywheel all the things (laughs) yeah flywheel there we go (laughs) and then by having a healthy team then we can get to number 10 last but definitely not least 
Yeah, we want you to be a healthy owner. So for us, this kind of takes on a couple of different places. One is around compensation. So we want owners to understand how their comp should work, which for here at Lawyerist, we like, um, you know, the Greg Crabtree model and simple numbers, which is you get two buckets of money as a business owner. One is the work, the money you get for the work you do in your business. So I'm just going to call that wages. And I'm going to make my disclaimer right now that I'm not a CPA. I'm not giving you tax advice. I don't care what actually happens for you to get this bucket of money, but I want you to start thinking about your business financials and understand that you should get uh, a market rate for the work you do in your business. So if you had to replace yourself tomorrow, or a great example, if your spouse is currently doing your marketing work on the side at night or keeping your bookkeeping at night, right? Like we have lots of spouses and family people who are doing work for us. Everyone needs to get a market rate for the work that they do. Otherwise, you don't have a true sense of the financial health of your business. Um, so you want to, again, I don't care how that money comes to you, but at least on a piece of paper, we should have a line item that says market rate for the owner and fill in that number. And then that should give us, you know, an if you want an adjusted profit number, but a profit number that will tell us if we really are profitable. Because a lot of the lawyers make the mistake of just saying, well, I just make whatever's left over at the end of the year. And they don't even realize that they're making less than they should make at retail, right? Like it's terrible. So one is like, are is your firm able to sustain you at the market rate we expect? And the good, and hopefully the answer is yes. And that there then is profit. We want that profit. We're looking for a healthy profit to be 10 to 15% of top line revenue. That would, that's a normal number. I know law firms publish things like 30 and 35% margins, but it's a lie because they're not accounting for any compensation for that owner bucket. They're just paying them out of the profit. So I'm dispelling that right now. But then once we do have those profits, then now you can get a return on your investment as an owner. So, or you can decide to reinvest in the business because you're trying to make some decisions and grow the business and grow the value of the business, but you can make those decisions. So number one, being an owner means getting paid for the, for in these two buckets this way. Um, so I'll stop there. That hopefully all made sense, but sometimes this blows people's minds because they haven't thought of it that way. And listen, that's the beauty of the way that we're doing this. We've got the episode. We'll go deeper. We'll have the Q and A at the end. Um, All right. So I want to I want to wrap up here. <clears throat> excuse me, but I want to make sure one that we remind people about the book. Yeah. So we go in the book really covers all of this in in much more detail. So would love for you to check out the latest version of the book. The first book did incredibly well. We're very proud of it. Um, over ten thousand people purchased it in the last couple of years, which. Sounds pretty good to me. So I think a lot of yeah. people have gotten help from it. It's try it, We tried to write it with very practical advice packed into all the different parts of your business. So it's the Small Firm Roadmap Revisited. And I think by the time you're seeing this, it's I can say it's on sale now, which is pretty exciting. There we go. So lawyers.com slash book. We'll take everybody to the order page from there. Um, and then you'll see Stephanie going deeper on these tips in our Solutions for Lawyers Facebook group, culminating in an end of April live event. I wish I could tell you the date right now, but I'm not 
organized enough to do that just yet as we film this at the end of January for you all to see it at the beginning of February. But be on the lookout in the group for that date so we can go deeper on these. And I know Stephanie has a wonderful breakdown, um, just like she talked about the 10 to 15% profitability. We've had so many of these great conversations about you know how much percentage is normal for firms across all these things. I know we'll be going deeper in that because worst comes to worst, I'm going to ask at the live for uh, the rest of those. That being said, Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. And thank you to everybody who watched and listened to this. We'll see more of hopefully you all and definitely Stephanie in our Facebook group. And then we'll see you back here next Thursday for our next episode of Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful law firm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E. 